0: Welcome to podcast number eight of my favorite detective stories. Today's date is July 16th, 2018, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Today's guest is Scott Schober. Scott N. Schober is the president and CEO of Berkeley Veritronic Systems, BDS, a 40-year-old New Jersey-based, privately held company and leading provider of advanced, world-class wireless test and security solutions. Scott is a highly sought-after subject expert on the topic of cybersecurity and wireless technology and is often seen on ABC News, Bloomberg TV, Al Jazeera America, CBS This Morning News, CCTV America, CNBC, CNN, Fox Business, Fox News, Good Morning America, Inside Edition, MSNBC, and many more. Scott educates businesses around the world on how to prepare for the future of cybersecurity and corporate espionage by sharing his experiences and insights on ransomware, passwords, drone security issues, wireless threat direction, detection, credit card fraud, as well as his own experience of being the target of hackers. He has spoken at the major conferences on this subject throughout the world. He is a cybersecurity contributor to Fortune Magazine, Connected World, and also a guest blogger on Tripwire's State of Security, IBM Big Data and Analytics, and writes for HP Business Value Exchange. In his book called Hacked Again, it's available at www.hackedagain.com, he describes the reality of cyber threats and provides tips and techniques that will help protect you and your business interests from devastating cybersecurity breaches. Scott also sits on several cybersecurity advisory boards. It is my pleasure to introduce Scott Schober. My favorite detective stories podcast features past or present detectives and investigative journalists. As a working investigator of over 42 years, I hope to inform, inspire and entertain you with great stories. We want to learn from our guests how they got started in the field and why they decided to become investigators in the first place. Listen as they tell us about the early years and who were their mentors and why those mentors had such a huge impact on their careers. We'll explore what makes for a good investigator and what makes for good and Investigation. But most importantly, after you get to know our guests, we will ask them for their favorite detective story, or maybe two. Stay tuned. The interview is about to begin. Hi, Scott. Welcome to the show. Great to be on, John. So, how are things down in beautiful Metuchen, New Jersey today? We've got
1: unseasonably warm weather. It's in the high 70s for this time of year. We just had snow about a week ago. The little pile of snow in front of my house finally melted so it's it's kind of a nice treat to have some sun and warming up a bit for spring.
0: I'm envious of you uh, up here in uh, Connecticut and today is uh, April the 13th as we record this. Uh my crocuses are still complaining that there's not enough <laughs> sunshine and uh, warmth so but um and as far as the snow goes um it's truly not spring in in uh Connecticut until all the snow is melted from the uh, mall parking lots. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. So, you know, I'm curious too, as, as my listeners are, we've, we've read your bio and it's, and we've listened to it. Now it's a matter of me asking you, when people ask you, what do you do? What, what do you tell them?
1: Well, I always uh, share with them, run a company that provides unique niche solutions for customers. They bring us a problem, we provide a complete solution, and it often is tied to some type of wireless security. And and that's a hot topic because that crisscrosses into the world of cybersecurity as many of the threats, the conduit is wireless. So if somebody's gonna hack into a network, they're gonna use Wi-Fi, or if there's IP compromise, they're gonna somehow use a mobile phone. So it it nicely parlays our business of what we do building wireless threat detection tools to the world of cyber. So we try to basically solve problems and help people um answer questions, uh, use tools to hunt down bad guys, uh, collect evidence, do whatever else is necessary. So we work very closely with different DOD agencies, law enforcement, Secret Service, FBI,
0: all different levels there. But it's always usually a a close tie to security. Okay. So uh, I want to come back and circle back to a lot of what you said. There's a lot of meat there, but, but how did you get started? Well, for myself, this is really
1: uh, growing up in the family business. This was founded by my father 46 years ago now. Of Berkeley Baratronics and it was founded out of Berkeley Heights, New Jersey, not far from Murray Hill where Bell Labs was, where my my grandfather, who's still alive today, uh, uh, Bill Schober, he's 98 years old now and he was actually part of this business as well. So I guess you could say I'm in a sense third generation even though it was founded by my father uh, and hopefully my son who's now 10, almost 11 years old will follow in my footsteps if I don't take the business under, as they say. Um, but but that's really the, the background of it. So I grew up around computers around technology around tinkering because the business was back some 40 some years ago was really out of my house so that was what I knew and there were employees that literally came into our basement not far from my bedroom and uh, that gives a nice background of my environment there it's a a techie background then up in uh, in school and I think the seventh grade I was appointed the uh, president of the computer club and really got into computers and building computers and Playing with technology, hacking, and as a little kid, my father worked actually at Atari. He was the VP of the research lab, so myself and my brother were gamers, uh, highly addicted to it, and we spent our time hacking games, pirating games, and then trading them with other, other, uh, unsavory characters over what was the early days of, uh, prior to the internet, where you had bulletin boards and forums and secret codes and handshakes to, to, to to share all these wonderful secrets and pirated games. So I have a little bit of that background that was always a little bit questionable, which makes it kind of fun dealing in the world of law enforcement, cyber security ethical hackers, unethical hackers, so I think it gives me a little bit of perspective on it, but as far as my formal training at school was really computer science background with technology and robotics and a little bit of media, so I have other mixes of disciplines in there, both on software and hardware side, so it helps me to kind of see the bigger picture when running a company, and we're a small company, we're 30-some engineers, most of the engineers are PhD, 10 times smarter than me, so I surround myself with people that are much smarter than me, which really helps us develop great products that
0: are niche and solve complicated solutions but easy to operate. So, and what brought me to your attention, Oh, what brought me to your attention. Now, what brought you to my attention, I have to get it right, uh, was a a wonderful book that you wrote yourself uh, called Hacked Again. And it can happen to anyone, even a cybersecurity expert. And uh, I got to tell you, it was an excellent read. I really enjoyed it a lot. And before we get too much further, uh, and I forget, uh, you have another book coming out soon too, right? Yes, it's kind of the sequel to
1: this book, Hacked Again, Lessons Learned from a small business owner so I'm sharing a lot of the things since that book was uh, published additional things that I learned additional hacks and and again I'm I find myself to still be the victim of targeted attacks even yesterday again I had my email spoofed it it spent a better part of this morning trying to unwind that big mess and debacle with somebody spoofing my email and It can be a challenge. When you constantly have a a target on your back and people are trying to mess with your business, it makes it difficult. And it's mainly because I'm trying to educate people how to stay safe. The more you try to educate, the more the bad guys don't like that, and they like to make your life miserable. So it, it can be a constant challenge day to day. Keeping myself personally, keeping my company safe while at the same time trying to educate people and share the information that I learned from from my
0: misfortunes. Hmm. now, just a very specific question. do you think your targeting on your email was by the hackers because of what you do and that you would be a a uh, a juicy target versus just that it was uh this business that they were able to get a a chance to to uh, hit? Well, normally I would say a spoof can happen
1: to anyone. It's a random like a spam or something like that. But the fact is, as I'm doing the investigation, and this is still less than 24 hours old, they've got my exact signature in the email. And they also scraped all of our international resellers, which I found interesting, that are selling security tools. So it's a tied into security related type of hack, which usually is a little bit more focused and a little bit more targeted. And already several of those resellers have reached out to me. Some of them actually were duped and actually responded to the email thinking it was legitimately myself mm. because the way it was worded, the signature in there, the spoofing, since oftentimes nobody digs down into the header to see w- what the actual domain is or the IP address, it's basically, it looked like my email. It just had one extra letter in there, but if somebody reading it fast, they probably didn't notice it. And that's often the case how these hackers work. They l- make very, very close um, uh, similarities to what. Somebody would normally email, but there were a couple tells that when I was forwarded the email instantly, I picked up on it. Since it was outside of my domain, it, it wasn't originating from my server, it was somebody else spoofing it, I would never even know about this if it wasn't for the recipient at the other end that was a victim reaching out to me. So hopefully that we could put this to put this to rest soon. And what I did was a alert. It was about 60 resellers that I have internationally. I actually put a form letter together and emailed them all to put them on a high alert just so they don't get duped into the scam and compromise any information or click on any attachments or whatever else. And, and that's important important piece is the response time to something when you are compromised. You don't want to wait around like Mark Zuckerberg waiting five days to respond uh, with all the revelations of Facebook. You want to react as fast as you can to inform your contacts so they could be alert and be be careful that they don't get duped.
0: No, I understand, and it's really interesting. I mean, uh, as you were talking, I could just think of who all those culprits would be and why they would want to compromise your resellers and how they would be stealing uh, the best technology out there that relates to uh, security defense. Am I yeah. am I right? Yeah, absolutely. It could be a, a source
1: for looking to, to compromise IP, intellectual property. It could be the fact that they realize all of our international resellers we deal with, there's there's wire transfer information. They could easily pretend that they're me and say, hey, you need to make payment for such and such. And if they have the office manager and it's a general email, they say, oh, it's from Scott. Oh, send those funds over. We don't want to lose the order. And now it's directed to a different bank account if they specify that. They So they could really play a lot of tricks. And all they're looking, for is the one guy that's not paying attention out of those 60, for example, in these very focused type of attacks. It's, it's different than a phishing email goes out to the millions of people. When it's a, a spear phishing, maybe they're usually targeting a CEO and maybe the accounting department to get them to compromise some financial information or login credentials or something else. So it kind of borders that a little bit more as, as I'm investigating this, but it'll make for an excellent chapter in my second book,
0: that's for sure. Amen. Now, uh, sir back to my original question, uh what you tell people, you, you mentioned to me that you intersect or have intersect and continue to intersect with uh, law enforcement uh in a in a variety of situations. Can you just kind of go from um, the most serious or the most and or the most frequent uh intersection you have with law enforcement and how that plays out. Oh,
1: absolutely. In fact, I'll talk about one maybe that's the most recent just because it's relevant and, and affects all of your listeners. And uh, it, it's that of uh, Bluetooth skimmers. And a really exciting area. I've been, been studying the problem. I wrote a little bit about it last year. And uh, the problem with Bluetooth skimmers, if you're familiar with a skimmer, if we go to the gas pump mm-hmm. and we pump gas, somebody's compromising our credit card. If you go to the ATM, oftentimes they'll compromise our debit card there. Well, in both of those instances, ATMs and And in gas pumps throughout the United States, especially are being targeted by cyber hackers. And what they're doing is opening up gas pumps and they're placing in inside a skimmer and it's coupled to a Bluetooth wireless module. And the the, the main problem is that all gas pumps, there's only six magical keys in a universal lock system for all these hundreds of thousands of gas pumps coast to coast. Any thief can buy it on the Internet and for about 10 bucks on eBay and open up the gas pump and they buy a module that's a Bluetooth skimmer for under $100, mass-produced in China, and this is how easy it is to put in. You simply plug that into the top of where the credit card portion, the reader is, inside the gas pump, and then you bury the rest of it, which is a cable coming off into the rat's nest of cables there, close it and lock it. it. takes about 15 seconds to install. Now, once that's installed, they never have to go back, and what the thieves do is they drive up once a day, and on their laptop, they simply will link and pair up to that Bluetooth module, and they will download all of these stolen compromised credit cards. The big problem with uh, the industry in gas pumps is the liability shift shifted out to 2020 before they have to upgrade the security to add the beautiful chip and pe- pin that's on all of our credit cards. So anytime a credit card goes into a gas pump, it's only reading off the MagStripe data, which is extremely easy to compromise with this Bluetooth skimmer. And, and that's how the scam goes. So we thought about this and I challenged the engineers. We got to come up with a solution to this. This is a, a federal crime. It's bringing in the secret service. The FBI is working on it. Local law enforcement. The average Bluetooth skimmer is getting about $116,000 in stolen credit cards. And they're finding thousands of these throughout the United States. With a tool now we've developed, you can hone in and just aim it at the gas pump and it'll pick up a Bluetooth signal and we have a direction finding antenna so we could pick up the signal strength intensity. We could link to that Bluetooth module and we have a database in there or known Bluetooth skimmers that have been found in the wild, they have a unique address. And we flash a, a red symbol on there and saying, hey, this is highly suspect. Click on here. Now you can direction find on it without even opening up the pump so that now you can secure it, shut the pump off so nobody else's credit cards are compromised. And it becomes an investigative scene, the Secret Service can then come in with working with law enforcement and hopefully track down these guys and catch them, usually in a sting operation where they'll plant some cameras and wait for the guy to pull up in his car and catch him in the act and and then lock them up and hopefully minimize the amount of credit
0: card damage there. Any uh, particular organized crime group that tends to uh, play with yeah. skimmers more than others?
1: Yeah, it, the, the majority of them that have been found um, and, and, and where they're targeted, I should mention, is, is the states of, of Florida, Texas and California are the top three states, mostly in major cities or what are being targeted. Most of it has gone back to organized Russian cyber criminal gangs that actually send people over here to the states. They train them highly organized. They have maps where all the skimmers are they're actually numbered each skimmer so they know which gas station that they're at what time of day to go there that the best time to actually pull down those stolen credit cards so it's it's a, it's a well orchestrated crime and they're stealing millions upon millions of dollars out of the U.S. most of it going again back to back to Russia from from all the investigations and people that I've talked to
0: it's interesting that you mentioned that uh, because I'm writing a book and I'm in the middle of it right now which means I can make some nice changes <laughs> it's it's titled Odessa on the Delaware it's a crime thriller it's set nice. in Philadelphia and it involves wow. Uh, the Russian mob yeah so yeah. so for me <laughs> I think I can um, I think I could add something about uh, identity theft and uh, and gas station skimmers into my into my book and it wouldn't, absolutely. It wouldn't be very hard yeah. all yeah, right an well interesting topic. and then I can quote you as my uh, my uh, subject matter expert on that then a- absolutely I've
1: learned a ton of things in fact I even went down to a Bluetooth skimmer conference that was put on by the National Weights and, and Measurements group down in the St. Pete's Florida not too long ago brought my tools ed- educated people. And then we all share techniques. And And we actually did a four-hour field trip out into the field with law enforcement, with national weights and measures to understand, open up gas pumps, learn the techniques that the bad guys are using so we could stay one step ahead and fight back against this mess.
0: That's great. That's a, that's a great story. I appreciate that. That's a good one. And, and that's a nice uh, explanation all the way through from uh, identifying what the problem is uh, on the massive scale that it's, it's taking place seeing how it's being done understanding what the uh the crime is and then uh creating the uh detection and deterrence methods to uh tell them okay uh this is not uh they have, they have to move on to the next shiny object because exactly. uh your your people and uh weights and measures are going to uh create a a tool that will allow the um the gas stations and other uh, point of purchase Vendors uh, to check for the skimmers on their uh, on their equipment. If I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah, you're you're exactly right. And it's really interesting. The
1: more I dig into this and learn. One fascinating part in the world of cybersecurity, which I deal with when there's a breach, such as a Target, a Home Depot, where mass amounts of credit cards are compromised, we're all familiar with that. What happens? The onus is, and, and the law is really forcing these retailers to report a breach notification to all the p- possible um, people that were affected. And that could be millions and millions of people, letters go out, free credit monitoring, so on and so forth, costs a lot of money. In the case with um, Bluetooth skimmers and gas pumps, guess what? That's outside of the computer network, in other words, in the pump where the crime took place. Therefore, the onus is not back on the gas station attendant, the franchise, the owner of the gas station, or anyone else to actually notify anybody that their credit card was in fact compromised. So it kind of goes quiet. Mm. So That's really not fair to the consumer, and there's no really laws protecting the consumer, letting them know, but yet every day, or every week probably, we all go to a gas pump and we quickly put our credit card in there, not even realizing it's being compromised. Millions and millions of credit cards every day are subject to skimmers that are stealing our information. And you always wonder, how did my card get compromised? I probably had my credit card compromised at least a dozen times, reissued, 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 reissued. reissued. Mm. It's crazy. It drives you nuts. Everyone I talk to the same thing. Well, probably a lot of that reason is Bluetooth skimmers in gas pumps—huge, huge problem.
0: Wow, that is amazing. And and the fact that they're that the 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 doers are exploiting a niche where um, the 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 uh, gas station owner or the gas station franchise is not necessarily the first line of defense. They don't they don't yeah. feel the need for it, and they're not the ones that are going to be notifying anybody about it. So it's a it's a hole in the system, so to speak. It,
1: it, exactly. Well said. In fact, it, it goes even Even another level further as i started learning about this gas station owners when they open up the gas pumps and look inside if they find a bluetooth skimmer guess what they're not that quick to report it to local law enforcement why because if the news gets wind of it and they're going to report on it nobody's going to buy gas from that station so oftentimes what they do is either just ignore them and say well As a gas station owner, I'm not liable. I'm pumping gas, whether it's to a criminal or somebody honest. Who cares? I'm still making my money. Whatever I do, I don't want to stop the customers coming in and stop the selling of gas and and the merchandise going through. So it's a big, big problem. Uh, There's even a scam. It's so well organized, John, that what they're doing is they're taking these vehicles and they're modifying them. They're putting in 300-plus-gallon bladders in the back of an encapsulated pickup truck with the cab on it the thieves will burn the stolen credit cards come back with your credit card my credit card and buy gas with this stolen credit card fill up 300 gallons they go around the corner they have a deal and meet the tanker truck they pump 300 gallons into the tanker truck the tanker truck then pays them cash goes back to the station where the gas was stolen from that he already sold it from and sells it back to them So you kind of see this circular, almost pyramid structure of highly organized crime that's happening every single day at Mm -hmm. thousands of gas stations. And we, the consumer are paying for it in high interest rates and credit card premiums. And there's no laws in place to effectively stop it. And the credit card companies are turning a blind eye to it because they don't want people to stop using credit cards. They would rather just cancel the card, reissue it so they can get their 20 plus percent, uh, Interest rate fees. So it's a bad, bad problem that has to stop. And And, uh, we're hopefully
0: fighting this with our Blue Sleuth uh, direction finding tool. That's a great story. I mean, I really enjoy that a lot. And you've walked me through it. uh, And we're able to look at it from various points. And you could see why it is, um, uh, why it got exploited uh, and why it's so exploitable. And that um, detection is low. um, Nobody's really interested in deterrence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh and yet uh it goes on and now there's uh ways to even for them to even go beyond the uh the the credit card data it's now the purchasing of gasoline and the reselling of it again that's that's amazing stuff and then of course when my card gets compromised i have to go sometimes in person to uh my gym or to the other places that i do business with and have to fill out a new application with a new card and what a pain in the you know what that is for real
1: it's inconvenient
0: it really is
1: and that that becomes a Which is a lot of reasons why people also don't report any type of cybercrime. One is fear and embarrassment. Who wants to be looked upon as hey I didn't have the strongest of security or I was stupid enough to click on this attachment or I made a mistake and wire transferred this money to the wrong individual whatever the case may be mm-hmm. that, that fear and embarrassment which is something I personally fell to when I was first compromised and I, I even share in my book once you get past that and realize it's more important to admit your weaknesses find out how to strengthen whatever mistakes you've made and, and then what I like to do too is share it with others hey I was an idiot i made a mistake here's what i learned from it i hope you don't go down that same path okay and and knowledge that we share with one another
0: allows us all to be safer does so in in my question then is to my listeners uh top five you know like survey says you know family feud top five things that they can do um tomorrow that they should do tomorrow to uh beef up their own uh, personal security when it comes to cyber Oh, there's
1: tons of things, but I always start at maybe the very basics. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, don't be intimidated and think. You have to be a techie or have a deep understanding of things or you have to spend a lot of money. Sometimes spending no money is OK, but using common sense, best practices and, and applying good cyber hygiene, as I like to call it, Okay. make a big difference. Um, look at it this way. If you have and I always relate this to people, I even share it in the book, layers of security, just like our house to keep our house safe. We lock our front door. We probably have a deadbolt. We have a camera. We have alarm stickers. Um, We do all these things, alarm, alarm monitoring, layers of security, deter a a physical thief from breaking into our house. The same is true in the world of cyber. We don't wanna just have good malware protection or a virus checker. Do we need it? Sure, that'll stop 15% of of the, the malware coming into our system. What else do we need to do? We need to also upgrade our security patches with our operating system. Very important, when you see that it's time to do it, stop what you're doing and do it. We need to back up our data regularly. If we brush our teeth every day, if we wash our car once a month, do we back up our computer once a month and have that mm-hmm. regimen down? So if and when our system is affected with malware, especially ransomware with many, many small business owners are targeted with, we can respond, re, not pay the ransom, but rather restore our system with the backup and we're good to go. We move on with life without being at the mercy of these thieves. Um, passwords I always share is another one. I guess that's number three or number four now. Passwords very important. The length of the password is probably the most important thing. We never want to use a a common word, our birth date, our pet's name, all those things we know. But a long password is very hard to crack. Um, a complicated and long password. Yes, that's important, making it complex when I say numbers, symbols, this and that. But that, that is not as effective as just a sheer long password. If it's 20 characters long, it's a lot harder to crack than a short password that's totally obscure. A lot of people don't understand that. Uh, password reuse is probably the number one problem that people have. In other words, you sign up for Facebook and you, you know, your, your simple password is password one, two, three. And that's the only one you you could remember now you use that across multiple sites. Everyone still does it. And I got a great story I'll share with you later on that. Um, that's probably about the top five things that I point out the most obvious things for, for the basic business owner or consumer to keep in mind.
0: Okay. Well, I do appreciate that. And I thought that would be helpful to our listeners. I mean, our, our, our lead, our listenership is, uh, People that are interested in getting into, uh, some type of investigative work. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that you, uh, deal with quite a few, uh, cyber security investigators and people, um, that, uh, deal with the cyber crimes. Can you talk about some of the, the job occupations that, you know, you come across, uh, when you're, you're dealing with, uh, law enforcement and, uh, corporate, uh, security? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And and there's been a huge area that's blossoming just for that. There's cyber forensics. A lot of these are little niches that there's a huge demand and need for. And and a lot of people I talked to that were maybe involved with law enforcement work in the street as a As a a police officer or a detective, maybe if they're getting a little bit older, but they want to keep in the profession or maybe they retire and they're starting up another profession to keep busy. They get into the the cyber forensics, analyzing phones that are confiscated as evidence requires some technical ability, but also an understanding of how phones work, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, all the different components of that and how to extract that off a phone how to secure it properly, how to how you decipher it if it's encrypted, what tools you can use. So it, it's a fascinating field. And more and more people I'm hearing about are getting into those little niches that help support the law enforcement groups. And I think it, it's something that's certainly exciting that, that people want to uh, get into a, a little bit different field where there's a huge demand. That That's a great little niche to get into.
0: And um, maybe the um, background would be a degree, but not, um, it really depends, I guess,
1: if, if there needs to be a degree, not, not in all cases. I think what's interesting often is for, for me, at least the belief, even though again, yeah, I went to college and studied this and that hands on somebody that's a techie, somebody that experiments, somebody that is interested almost as a hobby. They actually will do much better in the world of cybersecurity. In fact, if you look at at those that perform vulnerability assessments, those that perform penetration testing for companies, which is really a service. A company may hire somebody for five or $10,000 to come in and try to actually hack into their computers to not just get in but really to identify what are the vulnerabilities, the weak spots, so they can reinforce it so a real hacker doesn't come in. And that would be considered somebody that's a white hat hacker. So it's somebody that understands how to be evil and do things that cause the mischief and do things illegal but they're doing it for good they're doing it to help secure people for the right reasons and they're trying to use honesty and integrity but they still have to use tools and methods that the bad guys would use that that's another fascinating area i find and that doesn't require a, a, a schooled um degree per se what it really requires is a good understanding of computers uh programming languages hacking techniques a lot of that i call it self-taught okay it, it, it's it, you got to enjoy it make it Make it a hobby, make it exciting, and make it something you fool around with every night, and
0: then you'll excel and and do really well. And um, are are the people that are in the gamer uh, world, do they tend to uh, have some some, – I don't want to use the word uh, experience, but uh, uh, transferable skills that could uh, possibly uh, be the pathway to going into a, a cyber job?
1: Oh, I, I think absolutely. I, I look at the stuff my, my son is doing. He, he's a, a gamer. He's an addict. He plays Minecraft and a lot of these other games, which they kind of stimulate the creativity side in somebody. But they're also using terminology that a computer's on. He, he's talking about the lag when he's playing against other people online and mm. what the ping rate is. So a lot of the terms and things that he's dealing with, they translate nicely as you get into the more technical world of cybersecurity. So to me, it, it's a great entry level if you're a gamer. So if mom and dad are telling you, hey, stop playing games, you could say, hey, I heard this guy, Scott Schober, said that games are good. It's not necessarily all bad because mm. it, it is teaching you good skills as well as challenging you, which I think is, is pretty good.
0: I understand. No, I'm, I'm with that. So... Um what, so I know you're working on this uh, anti-skimmer. You called it the what? Uh, it's called the Blue Sleuth. The Blue Sleuth.
1: A, yeah, Bluetooth Locator Detector Unit. Okay. And uh, it's found on our website, bvsystems.com. And I have a couple of white paper and articles on there. There's a few videos that we have up as well that give you a full background, um, a little bit on the tool, but more so on the problem and what you can do as a consumer to stay protected so you don't fall victim to this. Okay. And then so what else are you working on these days? Oh, we've got a ton of different projects. Another one that kind of is an interesting one that I have a passion for. It steps, it's parallel to law enforcement. Uh, but it, it's not exactly a security product. It's called the Roadhound. And what the Roadhound is is actually a cell phone deterrent for distracted driver application. So we have all seen people behind the wheel and they're texting and take their eyes off the road for a couple seconds and slam their brakes on or swerve this or that. So we've actually developed an intelligent sign that prevents distracted driver and changes behavior. So as a driver approaches the sign within a few hundred feet away, radar picks them up in the detection zone. Then we have a dual engine cell phone detection that will pick up the transmitted signal from their cell phone when they're texting or talking that's going to the base station. And we will break a threshold and we will flash a sign that says you know, don't text and drive, idiot, or hang up and drive, whatever you want the sign to say. We've coupled that to a roadside mobile trailer so it's portable it could be put in school zones outside the police station Mm -hmm. rural roads anywhere where there's a propensity for people to text and drive which is pretty much everywhere and i always relay it this way it's similar to the signs that are speed signs if you ever seen the radar speed signs as you approach it what do you do You take your foot off the gas because you realize I'm going 37 in a 25. You look around and hope there's no police there so you don't get a ticket. But really what that sign is doing is it's helping change your behavior your attitude towards speeding and the same is true with when we're detecting somebody using a cell phone behind the wheel we're hopefully changing their behavior over time realizing that hey this is something that's detectable and ultimately it will be something that's enforceable and it's going to affect our wallet and give us points if we don't respect that and just put our phones down and focus on safety and it will not require law enforcement to be spending a ton of time Trying to patrol people and tell them get off their cell phones, and they could focus on real crimes and keeping
0: people safe. Amen. And that, to that end, I, I listen and I, I hear that that's a real lifesaver. I mean, that's a yeah. way of changing driving behavior Absolutely. because uh, the carnage on the highways because of distracted driving is is increasing. I mean, uh, okay, so many a lot of people aren't uh, drinking and driving as much as they used to. That mm-hmm. behavior is changing. Um, don't know what's that, how that's going to change with uh, more. Uh, states wanting to fill their coffers with tax money on legalizing marijuana, but I'm not (laughs) going to go there. That's another problem. (laughs) I'm not going to go there, but basically um, the drop in fatalities from uh, drunk driving, which is the number one killer, is actually now being offset by uh, distracted driving. Yeah, yeah, okay. well said. Yeah. And and a lot of statistics are telling us
1: that you're actually a safer driver behind the wheel if you were drunk than if you were actually texting behind the wheel. That's a, a sobering, I guess, <laughs> statistic when you think about it. No pun intended. Um, but 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 it makes you think about how dangerous it is. Yet if you ask people. It's well over, I think it's 84% of people surveyed, in one survey I read, admitted to texting behind the wheel at one point or another. What does that tell you? That tells you 16% of the people are lying. (laughs) That's what it tells me. I see people every day on the road, and I count how many times in my 10-minute commute how many idiots there are that are texting while driving. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's a problem, and it needs to change. And I hope this technology, if nothing else, will start to slowly save lives if people adjust their behavior. And and We're building on a good model. We, we developed another product a few years ago called the Transit Hound, and we're actually on a little more than 6,000 trains, heavy rail, that's moving sometimes freight cars that have chemicals in them, um, coal, other things that could be very dangerous, and if an operator of a train takes their eye off the tracks just for a minute texting – it could mean an entire city goes up in flames. So it's a serious problem and it's actually mandated by the FRA, the Federal Rail Administration, to monitor and stop the operators from trains to be on their phones and distracted. So that that's a huge area of development that we're working with them and law enforcement to to make a difference there. And we're seeing some um, I- exciting results from it and we continue to sell thousands of these little black boxes to stop people from texting while operating a train.
0: Thank you very much for a wonderful podcast, very informative, and I know my listeners are going to learn a lot about it and keep their eyes uh, peeled for uh, more work coming from you. Again, uh, Scott Schober, Hacked Again. It can happen to anyone, even the cyber security expert, and you're going to have a new book out pretty soon, too. Give me that title on it again.
1: Yeah, that's going to be Hacked Again, Lessons Learned from a Small Business Owner. So it'll be a sequel to this, and I'll share some more stories, more hacks, more breaches, and delve even deeper deeper into it, how people can stay
0: safe. And how can my listeners get in touch with you?
1: Well, certainly if they want to find out more information about some of the products I talked about, like the Bluetooth skimmer, uh, my company's website is B as in Bravo, V is in Victor, and then the word systems, spelled out plural.com, bbsystems.com, or they can go to my website, scottshober.com And I've got some free downloads there, tips and charts and different videos that will certainly educate consumers and more information about the book, uh, a whole bunch of blogs there that deal with various topics, several hundred. Or blogs that I've talked about as well. So feel free to, to use that site as a resource there. And there is also a cybersecurity dictionary that I put on there defining these complex terms. It breaks it down and makes it easier for everybody to understand.
0: Okay. And uh, I'm going to close with a quote from your book, Hacked Again, if you don't mind. Sure. And, uh, and uh, it's it starts out with your father's name, Gary Schober. Gary Schober instilled a strong work ethic in me through the years as both my father and boss. This is not. not. Not something anyone can learn in a textbook, but but can only be fully understood when you live it. Working in one company through my entire life has helped me to be determined, to never accept complacency, and to appreciate every employee has something to contribute. I have learned I personally will not excel at everything, but I can surround myself with the people that are gifted beyond my means in order to build and maintain a strong team. Lovely quote. I think that's a good way to end. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. Thank you so much, Scott. We'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks again, John. Thank you for listening, and I hope that I've earned your interest and your time. Please leave any comments that you have on the website, www.johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A dot com. Our next week's guest will be James Trainham. Jim is retired from the Metropolitan Police Department in Washington, D.C., where he worked and solved many violent crimes and was the violent crimes case review project director detective from 2000 to 2010. He was the recipient of the Marymount University Forensic Psychology Program Award in Ethics in Law Enforcement in 2005 and the recipient of the 2009 Innocent Network's Champion of Justice Award. Trainum has written several articles on interrogations and the creation of innocence commissions, committees designed to review alleged wrongful conviction cases. He's been interviewed on the topic of interrogation and false confessions by The New Yorker, The New York Times, and National Public Radio. Tranum has also been quoted in the American Psychological Association white paper on the topic of false confessions and in numerous other articles and editorials. He speaks at many conferences and other events to talk about the topic of false confessions and interrogation techniques. This episode will make you think twice the next time you hear that a suspect confessed. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear other great detective stories, Please go to the website and click on our podcast page. There you'll find the backlist. Now, you're probably asking, John, what about your own stories? Do you have any? Sure enough, I do. And they are available to you free as a download right to your inbox. I have eight short stories and eight vignettes in a book titled Mugshots, My Favorite Detective Stories. Now, here's my ask. If you were either informed, inspired, or entertained by stories today. Don't be bashful share this link with your friend. Better still, go to the iTunes website and leave a review. It's the best way to grow the circle around our campfire. If you have any questions, please contact me through the website, www.johnhoda.com. J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Thanks so much and have a great day.